Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What is up, everyone? This is obviously your boy Noah Petrie, round six MMA talk, the fight after the fight. And we're going to be covering UFC 275. This is episode seven of the podcast. And this episode, we're going to be going over UFC 275, how that played out. Honestly, one of the best cards of the year, one of the best cards we put on so far. It was one of those cards that, from first glance, you thought, oh, it might be a dud. But, dude, it was nothing but KOs that entire card. Nothing but finishes, for the most part, in that entire card. But the prelims were good. Um, the main card was good. Everything start to finish. I loved it. The atmosphere in Indonesia, the crowd... I honestly, granted, they weren't as loud as I that probably thought they would be. But that being said, dude, it was still an amazing card through and through. Every single fight was great. I don't think there was a bad fight on that card, to be entirely honest with you. So going over UFC 275, um, going over MMA news and drama, and of course going over the next fight night that's coming up, which is Cater versus Emmett. That one is, again, when you look at that Fight Night card, that Fight Night card is stacked. I'm very excited for that as well. But let's dive into UFC 275. So I want to get started. Of course, you already know if you're you know uh, listening from the beginning, which is I go from the bottom of the card upwards so the last card the last fight i'm going to be covering is the main event usually everyone does main event first i want to be a little different and for the sake of of taking notes that's how i do things so i'm going to be going over a prelim fight which is dana versus kang and i'm not necessarily going over the fight per se it was a good fight don't get me wrong a very entertaining fight back and forth um, I'm not going to go over any of the specifics for the fight. What I want to go over was there was two illegal strikes that were thrown in that fight that the, the referee, the official, just completely ignored for some reason. One being the illegal knee technically to a down opponent. Now, um, I believe it was Kang. Kang had two hands down, the nod threw a knee, and... Technically, even though he wasn't technically on his knees or anything like that, it was from a technical standpoint down, two hands are down, it's still considered a down opponent. So the official saw it and said nothing. I'm not sure if maybe he's confused with the rule set as far as, you know, because Indonesia, it's like one championships area. So maybe he was confused about the rule set there because in one championship, they don't give a fuck. So that would have been perfect legal. So maybe there was a confusion in that aspect there. Um, But either way, a legal strike was thrown and nothing happened. The referee saw it. The commentating team was talking about it. He should have. He should have at least be giving a stern warning, maybe even a point taken. Because when it comes to illegal knees, man, I understand a poke in the eye, maybe accidental groin kick, but an illegal knee. I feel like that's one of those strikes that we should be taking points. Period. So he threw an illegal knee. On top of that, at the very end of the fight, he threw a 
I believe, a punch right after the bell. So he did two illegal strikes. At that point, you have to take a point. Granted, even though the fight's over, I don't know the specifics regarding that, but you have to take a point somewhere along the lines. The dude is throwing two illegal strikes, and we're just completely ignoring it. Granted, he lost that fight, fucking thank God. But, dude, it could have been a whole issue if he would have won that fight, throw two illegal strikes, and nothing had happened to it. And, of, of course, I've never seen that official before. I'm guessing it's one of Indonesia's officials. I just feel like whenever the UFC goes to these other countries for events, usually the officials that that country picks to uh, oversee the event, not ones who are super known, who cover UFC fight cards all the time or other major MMA promotion fight cards all the time, like Herb Dean, Mark Goddard, Guys like that is usually like these these random dudes that we never seen before who only officiate in that country, respective country. I feel like those guys always suck. Another good example of this was the guy who I think they were fighting in Russia or one of those Eastern European countries. But basically, uh, Dana White said that dude would never officiate in the UFC ever again. And this is a good example of this. I just feel like some of these guys who these countries are picking to uh, you know officiate the fights they, they they can fucking suck at times to be entirely honest with you that's the only prelim fight i want to go over it wasn't even going over the fight it was more so going over the illegal strikes that happened in the fight um next we're going to get into the main card we have della madalena versus Amiv. della madalena has a strange name i'm just going to call him della for short because saying all that's honestly a mouthful so first i want to bring up what the hell was wrong with Amiv's left side it was completely red from basically half the stomach going towards half the back. That whole area was red. I'm not sure if uh, if the, commentator, the commentating team says something about it or if it's like a known thing. I don't ever remember Ami's side being red like that. Me personally, maybe I'm being oblivious to it. He always had it. But it was it was pretty alarming. Like at first at first glance, I'm like, yo, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Is he okay? So maybe he could have always had it. Maybe it was like a slight burn of some sorts. I'm not sure. I'm just saying it was the first thing I saw that came to mind. But Della, he he passed the Donnie wrestler test. He passed the Donnie regular test with flying colors. Now, Amiv did a very good job getting him to the ground at first, reversing position. Now, what I think he messed up on was he was immediately shooting for submissions right away. And of course, when you're going to hear multiple people say this, position over submission. Always position over submission. You want to get into an advantageous position before you start throwing submissions around. Because if you start throwing those submissions around when you're not in a good position, most of the time they're not going to sink in. They're not going to land. It's going to just you wasting your energy, exhausting your stamina. So I feel like he was doing that a little too much. Yes, he was able to take his opponent to the ground. But he wasn't doing position over submission. He did submission over position. He was just throwing submissions around. Granted, one nearly one was very close. He got one. I forgot what what submission exactly he was able to sink in. I know it wasn't a triangle. It was some other. Was it a Dars? I'm not exactly sure. My memory's fogging me right now. But he, he was able to to get a submission, and it got pretty deep. And I thought maybe this could be end the fight, but. Uh, Della pulled through. He got out of the submission. He TKO'd his opponent. The dude is the real deal. 
Um, I believe that body shot really took it out of him. We've seen a lot of body work that happened in this pay-per-view, more so than other fight night cards or pay-per-view cards in general. I feel like going to the body is not necessarily a lost art in MMA, but most people just don't really utilize it. We have a lot of leg kicking and head hunting. Usually, if someone is going to the body, MMA is a kick to the body, um, but I do think punches to the body can go a very long way. We've seen multiple times body shots, punches to the body have turned the tides in fights. And this is definitely one of those fights. Della went to the body with a, a left hook, I believe, dropped his opponent, put his opponent away. Good for him. Um, as far as who I would like to see next, I I have to look at the roster in order to determine who I think a good who I think will be a good matchup for him, but I do believe that the guy is the real deal. Now we have Fialo against Matthews. So Jake looked good. Jake looked really good. I was surprised in how good Jake looked, to be honest with you. I was thinking he was going to come into the fight like most people, a little bit timid, a little bit on the reserve side, very calm, very calculated. That's usually his game. And as for, I, I really, when I looked at matchmaking at to be first, when I first looked at matchmaking, to be honest with you, I thought they were kind of giving, you know, Fialo a favorable matchup because we've seen what Jake Matthews is about. Granted, it, he is still very young. I think the guy is only, what, 24, 25, 26 at most. But he is still young in his career. He still, you know, can greatly develop um, from here on out. But we've seen what he was made of. He got some good wins. He takes some losses. I thought they were kind of giving Fialu a, a cushy, a cushioner, you know, um, fight to, to, to build off his brand and going forward. So, but that was not the case at all. Jake Matthews really wanted to display his boxing in this fight, which I did. He, he did a tremendous job. He was by far the, the faster opponent. He landed the cleaner strikes. He was constantly switching positions from southpaw to orthodox all the time. Different stances being switched. Every time he would throw a combination, he would switch stance seamlessly, beautifully. Um, now, he did get pushed to the fence a little bit too much. I would like to see him take control of the octagon a little bit more. Granted, his style to begin with was someone who was very calm, cool, collected, waiting for the counter strikes. So it's good to see that he was throwing these combinations and being a little bit more proactive than he actually is. But going forward, I would like to see him dictate the pace a little bit more. For Fialo, I just feel like he was trying to load up on his punches a little too much. Granted, he does have a lot of power in that right hand. He, we have seen him put out multiple people. But the issue is when you start to get overconfident in your power, you start to throw less and less and less. You start to load up in all your punches, and you're just waiting for that perfect strike. We've seen this with Rosenstruck. We've seen this with other people who have that natural God-given ability to put people away. They just start waiting for that perfect strike to come. They know they have the power, so they're just waiting. They're patiently waiting. They're waiting for an opening. Here's the thing. An opening is going to occur when you're throwing combinations. When you're Throwing combinations, whether it be through, you know, one-twos, left straights, right straights, um, you know, mixing it up with, with body kicks, leg kicks. When you're continuously throwing combinations, that's when that's when openings will be created and that's when you'll be able to hit those power shots. But if you're just loading up in your shots and you're just waiting for the perfect strike, bro, your opponent sees that. They know what's coming. They see that right hand from a mile away. So... 
I just think he should have done a better job throwing more combinations and going towards a body a little bit more. But all in all, Jake Matthews looked like the better opponent tonight. I'm honestly very much looking forward to seeing him fight more and more and seeing his his career progress and his fighting style progress. I do think how he's fighting now, he should be fighting, period. He shouldn't be as reserved as before. I think he should be fighting like this, period. Now, we don't know how his... I mean, we kind of know how Jake Matthews' um, ground game is. Sean Brady was able to take him down and submit him right away. I'm not saying that's going to be the case for everyone. Sean Brady is an exceptional talent as far as grappling goes. The man even outgrappled Michael Chiesa. But what I'm also confused at was Fialu apparently has very good wrestling. I've never seen him utilize his wrestling yet. DC was saying how, you know, Fialu took him down and is, is very good at wrestling, was praising his wrestling. Why didn't you go to your wrestling in the fight? He didn't go to his wrestling at all, actually. Not once. I, I don't remember him ever shooting for a takedown or anything. If you're getting lit up in the feet and you're getting outstruck, why aren't you, you know, you're moving towards your wrestling when you know your opponent might have a slight weakness or overall weakness in that area of expertise? Why wouldn't you go there? I'm not sure as to why he did it. Maybe he was just overconfident in his striking abilities. Um, maybe it was terrible fight IQ. Who knows? But shout out to Jake Matthews for the W. I'm looking forward to seeing him fight more and more. Then we have Zhang versus Joanna too. Now this fight played out exactly how I said it was going to play out. Literally exactly how I said it was going to play out. Zhang was able to take her down immediately. Yeah, she did some good effective striking at first, but immediately she was going to utilize that newfound wrestling. We know that Yuana is not necessarily good at wrestling. She's been off for liter for two and a half, three years. So that aspect of her game is definitely rusty. There's some ring rust there as far as striking and everything else in general. But we knew that Zhang was going to go into that wrestling right away. What she had so much success in. So much success in. She was able to take Yuana down at ease. She was able to hold her down. Now, what we didn't see coming was that spinning back fist. I don't think even the fist landed. I think it was the forearm that she spun and cracked Yuana right on the jaw. And Yuana was out. We'd never seen Yuana like that. I mean, we saw her get knocked out by Rose, but she was dead flat out. I'm happy that Zhang was able to realize that her opponent is down and out and didn't have to do unnecessary strikes in that regard. Now, should this fight have been a title eliminator? Maybe not, to be honest with you. I don't think it should have been a title eliminator. Granted, I'm happy that Zhang is getting the title fight because I do think that she beat Rose in that second fight. I thought she beat Rose in that second fight clearly. Um, and I'm, I, I'm very interested to see how Carlo Esparza and Zhang would play out in general. So uh, overall, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm pretty happy that there was a title eliminator because I want to see how that fight's going to play out. Now, what I didn't like is... And I get it. I get it. She was a former champion. She's very important to women's MMA. Not necessarily one of the pioneers or one of the people who made women's MMA great into what it is. She's arguably the best strawweight um, ever. I mean, she's definitely the most accomplished. I don't know if she's the best ever because she lost to Rose twice, but she's most definitely the most accomplished. She's defended her belt five times. I don't see anyone else doing that in that division anytime soon, to be entirely honest with you. So much props to her. But here's the thing. If you get knocked out like that, if you get viciously knocked out like that, 
why are we interviewing you? Why are we giving you an interview? Bro, they're concussed. They're concussed. They're clearly concussed. There's no way they're not concussed. They were literally flatlined, face down, ass up into the paint, into the, the canvas. Why are we interviewing them? It's never going to be a great interview. It's always going to be all over the place or overly emotional or just crazy in general. We need to stop doing that. If someone gets flatlined like that, bro, all the questions and everything you want to answer will go to the post-fight interview once we check on their health first. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be giving concussed fighters interviews. I'm highly against that. Granted, this is a very emotional interview because she announced her retirement. She said that she's 35 years old. She wants to be a mom. She wants to be a businesswoman. She's been training um, martial arts for 20 years. Most of her life, she says she's done. It's time to hang it up. This chapter of her life is over. She wants to move on. I pers- I perfectly get it. She earned it. She's She'll always go down as one of the best women fighters of all time. I get it. I get it. You want to give her that respect after such a devastating loss. But dude, she's concussed. Why are we interviewing fighters after they have been concussed? I don't like that period. I just, I don't know why. It just leaves a very sour taste in my mouth. And listen, I know it was heartfelt. I understand that it was heartfelt. But we could have done this in the post-fight conference. We couldn't have done it there. If If a fighter... If a fighter is there and they're like begging for that interview, like what Conor McGregor did after he broke that leg, like he was telling Joe Rogan, yo, come over here. I basically want to cut a promo. Then maybe we can do it. But bro, if someone's got, if someone just gets knocked out like that, man, we should not be interviewing them personally. We, we, we should really, really, really try to get away from that as much as possible. Now I want to get into Valentino against Santos. Now this fight was interesting. This fight was very, very, very interesting. And it was very close. It was a lot closer than, honestly, all of us thought it was going to be. I did think that Santos was going to be a bigger challenge than Valentina's last, you know, four or five fights. But I didn't think that she was going to push Valentina the way that she did. So nothing but respect for Santos. She proved that she is the real deal. Personally, I say she's number two in the division right now. Clearly, she's ranked number five, but she is definitely number two in that division right now. Um, of course, under the champion. I would love to see this fight run back. Love to see this fight run back. It wasn't the most entertaining fight of all time, but it was a very close fight in a division that's very stagnant right now. I do think that we should, you know, run this one back because there's really there's no other contender in that division. There's no one who's going to compete with Valentina in that division. So might as well give the person who gave her the closest challenge the the run back of the title shot. But that being said, I knew there was a lot of talk in MMA community as far as robbery goes. I'm telling you right now, it wasn't a robbery. It straight up wasn't a robbery. And I'm, I'm really going to get into it round by round. So for the first round, I do give it to Santos. There wasn't much significant strikes going on the feet for for as long as it lasted. Santos was able to take her down, get her back. Now, I do think that... I'm going to back take a little bit later um, as I keep explaining the rounds. But Santos was able to take her back. Um, there was a lot of hand fighting there. At, at some point, Valentina was hitting her with a lot of shots, you know, like 20, maybe 30 shots off her back. But still, she was getting threatened with submissions the whole time. Santos was able to land a submission, even though it was a rear naked choke and the, the, it was over the jaw. There was no way 
Valentina was ever going to tap to that. Granted, that shit does still cause pain, but Valentina would rather let her jaw get broken before getting tapped to that, to be honest with you. She just has that will and determination. So, round one clearly goes to Santos. Now, round two. Round two, it didn't last long on the feet, but Valentina was winning on the feet. Then Valentina did a judo throw takedown on Santos. So, Valentina got the takedown. It wasn't Santos who got the takedown. Valentina did. Granted, Santos it was a reverse position, but Valentina still got the takedown. After Valentina got the takedown, Valentina ended up on her back for basically the rest of the round, and Santos didn't do anything. Here's the thing. You can't just lay on your opponent. You can't just take your opponent down and lay on your opponent. You have to do something significant in that position. You have to land strikes or land elbows. You have to be constantly threatening with a submission. You have to be active. You have to do something. You can't just lay on your opponent like that. Because in the MMA judging rule set, bro, they don't give a shit about grappling. And it's funny because back in the day, back in the early 2000s and during that time period MMA, there was a big emphasis on grappling. So you could just lay and pray on your opponent. You could take him down, you could lay on them and do nothing. You can't do that nowadays. They want to have an emphasis on damage. How, how how much did you damage your opponent? Tyler Santos did not damage her opponent in that second round at all. She did not damage her opponent in that round at all. No, no damage done. Straight up, no damage done. Valentina was constantly throwing strikes, elbows, threatening with submission off her back that entire round. So I gave that round to Valentina from that purpose. Now, do I think that grappling should be scored more than it is right now? Absolutely. Because in order to get into these advantaged positions, you have to literally take the fight there. You have to will your way and your opponent into that position, which is the hardest part of all of that. The hardest part is not sinking. The hardest part is not getting the submission. The hardest part is getting your opponent to the ground and getting in the position in order to get the submission. That's the hardest part about grappling in MMA or period. So the fact that that's not adequately scored, one is a travesty in its own, but the rule set is the rule set. So I gave round two to Valentina Shevchenko for that reason. So round three, round three is very much up in the air. It's, it stood on the feet for the most part. Uh, I, you can give it to Tyler Santos. You can give it to Shevchenko. Either or I'm perfectly fine with. So I don't really care who you give it to there. Round four, clearly Shevchenko's round. Round five, clearly Shevchenko's round. Now, even though Tyler Santos, I think Tyler oh, Santos did take Valentina down half the round in round three. So now it's whatever you value more. Did you value Valentina striking more in that first half of the round? Or did you value Tyler Santos wrestling more in that second half of the round? So that's round three. Whichever one you value more, cool, you can give it to whoever. So I do think Valentina clearly won round four. It clearly won round five. So I gave Valentina personally two, four, and five, which led her to win the fight. Was it a very close fight? Absolutely. Absolutely was 100% a very close fight. But I don't think it was a robbery when you look at the judging rule set in MMA, which I just feel like so many people don't understand this. So many people clearly just don't understand judging in MMA, whether it be fighters, whether it be coaches, not necessarily even the, the, the commentators. And it's not the it's not necessarily the 
you know, that you have to know all this information or everyone is clueless about it. But, dude, a lot of people are definitely clueless about how fights are being scored in MMA. And it's through damage, bro. It's through damage. You can't just lay and pray on your opponent and do nothing with the position and expect to win rounds. Especially in a championship fight. This is not going to fly. The only time that would fly is if it's a case as far as Logan Sterling and MVP. In that both men basically had the same total number of strikes. Which was very low. Literally single digit number of strikes from both men. Nothing was significantly damaged or you know nothing rocked their opponent or stunned their opponent. And the other one was able to out-wrestle and have control time for four, four minutes and a half of a round. Then that's where it makes sense to give the, the fight to the opponent who was doing the, more, who was doing the grappling, even though um, he didn't necessarily do much of it. It was a lay-and-pray, but nothing really happened in that fight in total striking-wise. So you have to go to the next thing, which is grappling, control time, etc., etc. But for this, for this fight, that wasn't the case at all. It wasn't the case at all. So to say it was a robbery, I think is completely false. I think Valentina did win the fight. I think it was a very close fight. I do think they should run it back as soon as you know Tyler Santos is, is able to because she broke her over the bone from the accidental headbutt. Um, she's going to be out for a little bit. I would like to see Valentina against Misha Tate. Misha Tate is saying you know she's a the uncrowned queen because she knows that will be the game plan going forward. She's been saying it for years, the grappling, etc., etc. Listen, you're past your prime. Let's see how your let's see. Uh, you, granted, your wrestling is good. You are known for that wrestling and for that grappling. Let's see it be utilized against Shevchenko before we start calling you uncrowned queen. Because quite frankly, I do think you're past your prime, and I do think even though you know you may have the technical wrestling prowess against Shevchenko. I think overall Shevchenko's skill set, she'll still beat Misha Tate. But that being said, I do, I would love to see a rematch against Tyler Santos or for Valentina to move up in weight. I don't think there's really much for Valentina anymore in this weight division. I think she could fight Misha Tate for money. I think she could run it back for Tyler Santos if she wants to. I don't think she necessarily needs to. Um, but bro, I would like to see her move up in weight and pursue that 135 title shot. To be honest with you, pursue the 135 title, because um, there's at this point at the division, dude. There's really nothing left for her at all. Now I want to get into the main event, which was Glover Teixeira against Yuri Prohachka. And my fucking god, bro, that fight was crazy. I no one expected that fight to be that way. To be entirely honest with you, that fight is easily for my top ten, maybe my top five. And it wasn't a fight like John Jones Gustafson or Robbie Lawler against, um, God, Robbie Lawler against what's his name? Crap. How am I, how am I, the Red King, how am I forgetting his name? I'm blanking out on his name right now. I remember his nickname, but not his name. But you guys know who I'm talking about. Robbie Lawler against, fuck, I'm blanking his name. Robbie Lawler against that guy, against the Red King. Forgot his name, against the Red King. Um, both of those fights, it wasn't like that. It was a constant it was one person opposing their will on the other person and constantly 
positions are being reversed. So Glober will get a takedown. He will have him mounted. Yuri will reverse, have him mounted. They'll be on the ground. Yuri's winning on the feet. Then at one point, Glover is winning on the feet. And then Glover gets him down, has him mounted, getting submissioned, and vice versa, etc., etc. The fight was just literally all over the place, man. The fight was a literal roller coaster ride. After the, those, that fight was one of those fights that after it's done, you just have to like breathe out. You're like, oh shit. You're like, damn, like that was just insane. It was literally a roller coaster ride. I don't know who said this, but someone nailed it perfectly on the head. They said after the fight, even though, you know, we saw Yuri get sink in the rear naked choke and win at literally the last 30 seconds, last 28 seconds of the fifth round. It was more like, it wasn't like a traumatic victory, like everyone yelling hurrah and like celebrating. It was more like, just like a sigh. Not necessarily of disappointment, but you just like breathed out. You're like, damn, bro, like it's finally over. Cause like it was just all over the place, you know? It was it was literally a roller coaster ride of emotions. I think it's one of the best um title fights of all time. Definitely one of the best light heavyweight title fights of all time. As far as light heavyweight title fights go, that's it. The top three are easily that one. Um DC Gustafson and of course John Jones Gustafson. I think those are eat those are definitely the top three. I could be wrong. I could be missing a few more, especially from the, the you know, the, the the legends and the old timers and some of their fights. But me personally, I think it's definitely one of the greatest title fights of all time. It would, that fight alone was worth the pay per view. That fight alone is worth the pay per view. I bet money on Glover and I lost money on Glover. I'm not even mad. That's how good the fight was. I lost hundreds of dollars on Glover Teixeira. And I'm not mad about it at all because the fight was literally that good. It was literally that entertaining. It was one of those fights that if you if someone does not like MMA at all or you know never watched it, you show them that fight, they're going to be a fan. It was one of those fights. It was one of those fights that turned the casual fandom into hardcore fans. Maybe that's a little bit much, but it was definitely one of those fights that it can make a fan out of anyone or at least make them appreciate the sport in general and make them realize that the sport is at least entertaining at that. But the fight was really good. I want to start breaking it down. So the first round, Glover Teixeira did a very, very, very good job getting here to the ground, controlling the position. Yuri did get back up a few times, um, but Glover is able to take him to the ground again using the high crotch takedown and... Solid round for Glover Teixeira. He really didn't take much damage there. As far as the second round, I did give it to Yiri. Honestly, man, the fight's a blur. As far as the rounds-wise, the rounds are just all over the place. Everything is up and down. It's one of those fights where you don't necessarily remember too much details as far as each round. But I did give it to Yiri. The third round, um, I did give it to Yiri as well. I think Yiri was really starting to put it on Teixeira striking-wise and was having him hurt in a lot of aspects. Teixeira was really struggling to get in the takedown in that round. Fourth round, Teixeira started to come around. Now, the fifth round is the it's honestly probably the most excited round of the fight in general. And at this point, both men are tired. Both men are battered. I do think I do think Yeri did a fucking very good job going to the body to Glover. He started targeting the body a lot. And when you start hitting to the body, you can have the best stamina in the world. Once you start getting hit to the body, bro, that's your stamina just starts to get depleting. It just immediately starts depleting. And it was a very smart tactic by Yuri Pohaska. And I think that tactic probably won him the fight in the end, to be entirely honest with you. Besides just having fucking blood and guts and piss and vinegar. But 
In that round, in that fifth round, Glover was hitting Yuri with hard shots that honestly would have put down most in that division. Was hitting, hitting Yuri with a lot of shots. Yuri was on Queer Street. He was wobbly. He can he could, he was literally about to get put away at any moment. And Glover Teixeira jumps guillotine, which I literally lost my shit at that point. I was so upset at Glover at that point. So I'm thinking, why are you jumping guillotine? First of all, you should never jump guillotine. Jumping guillotine is incredibly stupid because it almost never works. It almost never works. It just is one of those movesets that just, granted, at times maybe you could sink it in, but it, I, it's just it's just a dumb moveset to be honest with you. I I I just think it's a waste of time, especially when you have your opponent rock that way. He was literally at any moment could be put away, and he jumped guillotine. And I thought maybe it was just a terrible fight IQ. It wasn't until listening to Luke Thomas, shout out to Luke Thomas, that he was again very mad at the situation as well. But he said it's funny because back in the day, Glover striking wise would just put him away. Glover had really good, really good boxing back then, still has very good boxing now. But Glover back then would have had a killer instinct and just put him away through strikes. Now, this Glover has been so focused on wrestling and grappling and jiu-jitsu, maybe that's his norm now. Maybe when he gets into advantageous positions and um, or advantageous situations and, you know, is looking to finish your opponent, he immediately mindset-wise goes into grappling, into wrestling, into submissions. So maybe that was the case. I was thinking possibly bad fight IQ or just... Because when when you're tired, when you're drained, when you're exhausted, imagine being 42 years old, fighting a five-round fight against someone who's 29, on top of that getting hit to the body constantly, getting beat up bad. Your gas tank is going to be drained. No matter how good a stamina you are, bro, you're going to get tired. And when you get tired, you start making silly mistakes. So I was thinking maybe it was just bad fight IQ, but then again, Glover is a veteran, so it was probably just him making a bad mistake at the moment because he's tired and exhausted. Either way, it wasn't the end of the fight there. Um, Guerrero was able to, to get out of it. Glover was able to get out of it. Glover took him down again, which I thought was another bad decision. At that point, that's when Yuri got the reversal. Uh, synced in the rear naked choke, which is a very odd rear naked choke. It kind of looked like a bulldog choke in a way, but was able to sink in the rear naked choke. And in the last 30 seconds of the fight, caused the upset, got the victory, and is the new light heavyweight champion of the world. So uh, DC was saying a lot in that broadcast as well, especially toward in that round that Glover is making a lot of silly defensive mistakes. Um, and I just think, bro, he was tired. I think he gave it all he got. I think he gave it all he got. He 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 gave his all in that fight. And nothing but respect to him. That fight should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Glover Teixeira should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Um, I, I think they should run it back. To be honest with you, I think they should run it back. I don't think Jan Blockwood deserves a title shot. I'm going to I have to I have to seriously say that. I don't think Jan deserves a title shot. One, he got put out by Glover, and on top of that, when he was fighting Radic, Ratchik, he was losing that fight. He was losing that fight. Clearly losing the fight up until Ratchet got injured. So why am I going to give you a title shot of you coming of coming out of an injury victory that you were losing up until that point? Doesn't make sense. So he shouldn't get the fight. Now you have Uncle Iev against Anthony Smith. If Anthony Smith wins the fight, 
which I don't think he's going to. Sorry. But if Anthony Smith wins that fight, does he deserve a title shot right off the back? No. He can fight Jan Blahovich. And if he beats Jan, then he gets a title shot. If Uncle Live wins the fight, if Uncle Live wins the fight, I think you could give it the title shot to him because he's at that point he has, what, a 9-10 fight win streak. I think he'll be completely deserving of the title shot. I don't think he'll have to fight Jan or anyone else again in between. I think you should just fucking give it to the guy. But I'm not opposed to having that fight being run back. Because one, it was entertaining as shit. Two, it was sell well. And three, Glover was winning the fight up until that last 30 seconds, man. So it was a lot of what ifs and a lot of possibilities there. Even if they do run it back, bro, I don't know who I'm going to go for. I don't know who's an educated pick there. Because even though Glover was winning the fight until that point... Yuri was able to weather the storm and show that, you know, that inner focus that he's just not going to give up and lay there and lay in defeat. So I don't know, honestly, if I, if that fight does get run back, I'm not sure who's going to win. It's up in the air. Either man could win. I think if it's, I, I just think it's one of those instances that if they fought 10 times, one of them would win, you know, one of them would win six, the other one would win four. I think it's one of those. I think at any given night, the other one could beat the other one. But it's a very entertaining fight. I would love to see it get run back. There's no talks of it yet, but we'll see if uh, if Dana White or UFC would mention that sometime during this week, maybe. If they are going to mention it, it's going to be sometime during this week. But, you know, Dana White only gives a shit about money. And that fight, I don't think it sold well pay-per-view now, but I do think that if they did it again, especially if they have a, a, a very good card, I think it could sell well the second time. I think you can make a case for it too. So let's see if they they run it back. But who knows? Who really knows, to be honest with you? Now, I want to get into MMA news and drama. So the first one up is the scorecards were revealed for the Valentina fight. And dude, they're all over the place. So you had one judge. One judge. I forgot forgot all the judges' names. I'm sorry. You had one, which I believe was the first one of, you know, the picture of the scorecards. One of them scored it the way I scored it, which was round one Santos, round two Valentina, round three Santos, round four Valentina, round five Valentina. So he scored it exactly the same way I scored it. So, you know, you know, uh, great minds think alike. The second one gave it to Santos. He said round one, two, and three were Santos. Round four and five were Valentina. Clearly that guy um values grappling over anything so cool he gave that one to to santos the last one was a little bit over the place the last one he gave the first round to tala santos and gave the last four to valentina which i don't i don't agree with and there's some backlash there and everyone calling him an idiot i guess you can i guess you can i can see how he gives it Four rounds to Valentina, to be honest with you. If he's just going off as far as, you know, damage done and that's the number one priority in the fight. I can see it. I don't agree with it, but I can see it. But it just goes to show you, bro, you can have three people literally a couple feet apart from each other watching the same fight and they get three different things. Literally, every single scorecard completely different. Granted, it got to the proper... The, the you know the the proper victory it got to the, the proper winner of the fight but dude 
we see this all the time where all three judges' scorecards are just fucking all over the place. Whether it be boxing or whether it be MMA, we see this constantly, 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 constantly. Now, Dana wants Chandler versus McGregor. He said this fight makes sense. It's a fight that he wants to make. I 100% agree. Uh, Actually, I like 90% agree. I 90% agree. I think this fight will sell like fucking hotcakes. I think this, this fight sells easily. I think this fight is very entertaining. I think the post, the press, the, all the press, you know, the, the fucking press conferences are going to be entertaining with Connor, with Chandler going back and forth. I think it will be a blast of watching those. I think the fight will be entertaining. I think someone gets finished within two rounds easily. I think this might be a bad fight for McGregor coming off that injury. Um, I guess someone who is a fresh Michael Chandler who has that finishing ability, who can't hit hard. I think they would want to do it at 170. I don't think Chandler ever fought at 170. He is said he's getting old and making 155 is a, a fucking pain in the ass. So he wants to start doing 170 more. So I, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with him there. Um, I, do, I don't think he'll be necessarily too small for the division either. So I think it's a good fight. I don't mind this fight. I like this fight. I think this fight's good. I think this fight sells. I think another fight you can make outside of this is I think if you just want to make money as much as possible, you can do Connor Chandler. If you want to like build up Connor again and kind of give him like a fight that's challenging, but a fight that he definitely could win, I would say Connor Ferguson. Because one, there's beef there that goes years back. Two, that press conference would be entertaining as ever loving shit. Three, the fight would definitely sell because both men are, pro- are beloved in the MMA community. And four, I think it's a fight that Connor could definitely win, especially if it's in 170 that Ferguson has never fought before, who would clearly be the smaller man there. So I, I like I, I like both fights. So I, I, I have no objections with Dana White saying Connor McGregor Chandler or Connor McGregor Tony Ferguson. We'll see what Connor wants, though, because. Connor might be like, nah, I deserve a title shot, which he most definitely does not. But he might want to go that route. He might want to go something else. You really never know what Connor McGregor should be entirely honest with you. But last but not least, as far as MMA news and drama, BKFC and Belter are co-promoting, and they're doing Mike Perry against MVP. I'm not opposed to this. I like this. I really, really like this. I like the fact that Scott Kroger will basically collaborate with anyone or any organization for the most part. He doesn't. He never has any objections to it. I love that aspect of it. Um, it's just kind of like a weird mix-up in a way, but I like it in that fighters are, are ha- they have more options besides just MMA. So if they want to do uh, a bare-knuckle bo- boxing fight, they can do that. I know... You know, Scott Coker would would collaborate and co-promote with a boxing promoter. I don't think that that would happen anytime soon because Belter doesn't really have any star attractions that would really transfer well pay-per-view wise or selling wise to boxing the same way the UFC does. So maybe they don't have that in that aspect. But I know that that's something Scott Coker would definitely do that, you know, Dana White and the UFC are, are most definitely reluctant to do. So I do like this for the fighters. I do think it's an entertaining and weird fight. As far as who's going to win, I don't fucking know. I don't know. 
here's the thing. I do think Mike Perry has a good shot because Mike Perry is already doing bare knuckle boxing. And a bare knuckle boxing rule set compared to MMA are obviously definitely different. Even the striking whole overall aspect goes. They're definitely different. So I do think Mike Perry has a shot. I think he has a shot. I don't know if he's going to win, but I'm not saying he's going to win. I'm saying he has a shot. I do think it'll be entertaining. I would probably watch it. I'm not going to fucking pay for it, though. So... Either way, I, I like what Scott Coker is doing. I love the, the the collaborating with different promoters and honestly just different sports in general. Now I want to get into the Petrie predictions, right? So I want to go from bottom to top again. So I'm going to start betting with you motherfuckers. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is because I kind of feel bad telling you guys what my picks are, and I'm just sitting here on my high horse not betting at all. The reason why I don't bet, here's the reason why I don't like betting, right? The reason why I don't like betting is when I place money on a fighter, when I watch MMA, let me start from the beginning. When I watch MMA, I'm watching it objectively. I don't really care who wins. I don't care who loses. I'm just watching it from the pure entertainment of the sport. 99% of the time is how I watch MMA. There's few times where I'll be rooting for a fighter. For instance, Max Holloway against Volkanovski. I would be actually rooting for Max Holloway to win that fight because I'm a huge Max Holloway fan. If John Jones were to fight whoever he fights next, I will be actively rooting for John Jones because I'm a huge John Jones fan. Very few, f- like Corey Sanhagen. Whoever Corey Sanhagen fights, I'm rooting for Corey Sanhagen because I'm a huge Corey Sanhagen fan. So. So there's very few fighters that I would actually root for and go for. For the most part, I'm just watching it for the sake of watching the sport and being entertained in that fashion. But when I put money down on the fighter, that's when I start to root for that fighter, want that fighter to win. And it kind of like messes up my viewpoint of MMA. That's why I don't really like betting all that much. I would only bet if a bet makes sense, which means one, if I lose, I really don't care because the amount of loss is not the amount of money loss is really not that serious. And two, I just think the fight's gonna play out like this in general, so might as well bet on it. So, and of course, odds and that kind of shit also play a factor too. So this is what I'm betting, right? We have Cerrone against Lozon. I'm betting on Lozon. Granted, Lozon is the underdog. He hasn't fought in three years. He, he's coming off a TKO victory. He's lost his last three or last four. I think one of them is by TKO. The other one is by decision. Granted, there will be some there will be some ring rust and that kind of stuff too from Lozon. I believe he was coming off an injury as well. But I'm going to be honest with you. If Cerrone is plus money on anyone, I mean, if Cerrone is the, fav- if is the favorite on anyone, I'm going for the opposition. I don't trust Cerrone's abilities at all. Not anymore. I think Cerrone's washed. I think Cerrone should retire. I think Cerrone has taken too much damage. I think Cerrone doesn't really throw anymore. I think he gets very hesitant. I think he tends to, to, to tense up and his, his chin is just not the same anymore. He's just constantly taking TKO losses left and right. So even though he's technically the fresher man and has fought in more these past you know three years as in comparison to... Um, as in comparison to Lozon, Cerrone's only win those last three years were to Anthony Pettis, which I thought he lost that fight. On top of that, Anthony Pettis is also pretty washed. So I, I just, 
I'm if Cerrone's a favorite, I'm going for anyone else other than Cerrone. Fucking, he could be fighting Joshua Fabio. I'm putting money on Joshua Fabio over Cerrone because I just don't trust in Cerrone's abilities anymore. So I put money there. So I don't think it's a bad bet. Lozon has that finishing capability. He has TKO'd many people before. He has a great finishing rate. Granted, he's coming off a long layoff, but I think he can get it done. So that's why I'm betting on Joe Lozon. And now I'm here's now this one's a hot take. I'm personally going for Calvin Cater. I think Cater's gonna win. I really think Cater's skill set is better than Josh Emmett's skill set. That being said, Josh Emmett being an underdog is not a bad bet. Because one, he has that wrestling aspect. I don't know how good Calvin Cater's defensive wrestling is. I've never seen him had to wrestle anyone before. Or to my knowledge or to my memory. So I don't know how good his wrestling is. So Josh Josh Emmett can wrestle if he needs to. On top of that, Josh Emmett's striking is good. He can't compete on the feet with Calvin Cater. And Josh Emmett has that one-punch knockout power. He can put his opponent away. Same thing with Calvin Cater. Calvin Cater can put his opponent away too. But I do think Josh Emmett hits a little bit harder than Calvin Cater. That being said, he is a dog. I think that's a very, very live dog. And I don't mind putting some money on Josh Emmett. Granted, I do I think Josh Emmett's going to win? Probably not. I would say I'm 80% sure Cater's going to win. But Josh Emmett being the live dog that he is and having all those factors that I just said, it's not a bad bet. I wouldn't, I'm not saying bet the house. I would say bet 100 bucks, 50 bucks, anything you're comfortable with. Don't bet too much. But I do think that if Emmett does win, it's really, is, it wouldn't be that surprising to be entirely honest with you. So I'm going for Josh Emmett in that regard. And another fight that I'm just going to go over that I'm not betting on at all is Kevin Holland against Tim Means. The Dirty Bird Means. Uh, I think Kevin Holland definitely has the capabilities to win this fight. Obviously, the man is by far the better striker. He's been working on his wrestling as well. His last fight, his wrestling wasn't too bad, but they got the headbutt and, and it was a no contest. So I do think that Kevin Holland should win this fight. He should win this fight. He's the favorite. He should win this fight. If he doesn't win this fight, he's done. He's done. If he doesn't win this fight, he's done. And if he doesn't win this fight, his coach saying that Kevin Holland has more potential GSP is like Joe Rogan saying that welcome to the Machida era. Which is one of the bad, the worst takes of all time. So Kevin Holland should win this fight. Yeah, he's lost his last four. He needs to win this fight. This is basically a favorable matchup for him because he's a company guy. We'll see how he performs. I'm not betting money on him. I'm just saying my take for the fight. Kevin Hollis should win that one. But that is episode 7 of our 6 MMA talk. Now, of course, these episodes come out every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. So watch out for those. And I hope you have a good week, guys. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.